Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. This is the 2020 MLS Cup Playoffs Conference Semifinals Review Show, and we'll talk about the uh, big games that were played over the week and some very interesting results that we uh, saw out there. And, you know, you got to say that, once again, excitement galore for the MLS Cup playoffs. Excitement galore when you talk about these teams going forward. And, you know, it's a situation where this whole playoff positioning and playoff matches have been exciting to watch, a lot of fun to watch, and what we're going to have is a conference final matchup where it fits and it's fitting for a 25th end of season, you know, anniversary of MLS, especially in the East. As we all know, Columbus and New England are going to face each other in, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference Finals, but... Minnesota will be making that trip or that trek to take on the Seattle Sounders, the defending MLS Cup champions, and we will see if they have any magic in those football boots to go forward, to move forward, and to find a way to make it big and promising. All I can say is is that it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting to watch. And we will have a good time, a very, very good time going forward. So as we get ready for this uh, final going on, going on, excuse me, uh, for the, we review the semifinals of the conference. Let me just say this. I am very disappointed and how the league scheduled this week. I'm very, very disappointed in how the league scheduled this situation uh, with the games of the uh, conference semifinals. Nothing on Saturday. You have two on a Sunday, and then you have one on Tuesday. And I thought there was going to be Wednesday with Sporting Kansas City and... Uh, Minnesota United and all I can say is is that it was yesterday you know I, I understand how MLS is trying to I guess spread out the games you know you don't have to spread out the games you don't have to spread it out all you have to do <clears throat> is have common sense in when you set up these games in the playoffs and how it's going to look. I was very annoyed, very, very annoyed that I have to watch these two Western semifinal, these two conference semifinal games in the West to have one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. Why can't we just make everything on the weekends? Why? Okay, you want to make it midweek? That's fine. But the point is, is that, and I understand we're in a pandemic, and you've got to fill in the time, and you've got to find certain dates somewhere, and that's understandable. But you've done this last year before this whole pandemic began. I, I, you're, you're throwing the playoffs into a tight window. 
And think about it for just a moment here. I know you scrapped the two-legged playoff series. I know you scrapped it to make it one and done in each round. I understand, and I'm not disagreeing about that. You made it more exciting. You made it more fun, and that's great. But why couldn't you just make an East and a West game on a Saturday and an East and a West game on a Sunday? I don't understand it. I don't fully comprehend it. But all I can say is is that I just think this is a mistake. And now you have a conference finals matchups coming up this coming Sunday. And then you will have the final next Saturday. Once again, you know, I know it's difficult and I know it's hard because you got to, you know, throw in college football and the NFL on the weekends. That's always been the struggle regardless. That's always been the struggle with the college game and the professional game of American football interfering with MLS's playoffs. You're going to get interfered with regardless, but if you still have those hardcore supporters that will come and visit you, it's really simple. There's a DVR. There's a DVR available to every household. And you can get everyone that supports you, supports all the clubs in MLS, to come to the stadium, come to your, or come to your soccer-specific stadiums, DVR the college football game or DVR the NFL game, and they can watch it later. The technology is very good. Technology is grand. But I have to tell you, it's just still a bit difficult to go forward. Still difficult to move forward and not pay attention to what is going on. All I can say is is that there is too much difficult pieces to place together. And it doesn't have to be that difficult at all. It does not have to be that difficult at all. I just find it uh, irritating. I find it, um, you know, silly that we have to endure. That we have to endure this situation. With the playoffs. And even though. We had. Two playoff games on a Saturday. Three playoff games on a Sunday. A break on a Monday. And then Tuesday. You finish off the rest of the playoffs in the quarterfinal round. And then I of course have to do my thing. uh, On last Wednesday. This on last Wednesday to do a show. And it's just been very, very hard. Very, very hard to get this thing done with. And all you can say is is that it's been hard. And it's just a situation where I would love to just have some normalcy involved with the MLS schedule makers when it comes to the playoffs. Everything has just been hard and difficult. And it's just a situation where I wish they would just, once again, have some normalcy. That's all I'm asking for. I I think that's all all of us are asking for. I'm not talking about the pandemic because that's a separate issue. What I'm talking about 
is how these playoffs are being scheduled. And look, I understand we didn't have a lot of matches. I mean, we, we, we had to cut off a ton, tons of matches. World Cup qualifying got involved, uh, got you know involved with the pandemic. We haven't played anything yet. It's been basically <clears throat> three friendlies. Two have been played in November. We're getting a third one now uh, this month in December, this coming Wednesday against El Salvador in Fort Lauderdale, in the Inter-Miami Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. And it's just a situation where I have had, uh, you know, we were trying our best to understand all this, and I think we have done a great job of understanding the whole situation. But still, though, even last year's schedule in the playoffs was still inept. So many midweek games, shoving in, cramming in these tight windows of playoffs, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. If we're going to have some common sense here, once again, it's really simple. It should have been two playoff games in the conference semifinals on a Saturday, one east, one west, and then the same thing again on Sunday, one east, one west. We cannot continue to see MLS screwing up a simple playoff schedule. You cannot do that. Okay? I understand that, you know, just in case New York City FC are going to host a playoff game at Yankee Stadium because the Yankees are not even in the playoffs anymore in baseball, we have to do it for them. That was wrong. Flat out wrong. We should not cater to one club that is owned by another sports team in the United States, which is 20% owned, using their baseball stadium as home field, and just, you know, they should be, they should, in my opinion, they shouldn't even be catered to. They should be punished. You don't like it? Tough. Find some other place to play. And... That's all you can say about it. Now, now, because it's not Yankee Stadium, now, because of the whole restructuring of minor league baseball, you can have New York City FC play in Staten Island. It's still part of the five boroughs. It's still part of New York City. It may not be Manhattan. It may not be Queens or Brooklyn or the Bronx. But now... They don't have that minor league uh, baseball team anymore. So you you can now go to a situation where, okay, fine, capacity is not big enough, but still you can play at Staten Island. So there you have it. But like I said, you cannot cater to one team because their home field uh, advantage is a baseball stadium. Like I said, this situation uh, just doesn't feel right. Don't shove all these games into a shortened situation. It's one and done. Let's go, everybody. Let's do it the proper way and the right way. You have enough room in the calendar for MLS to play your playoffs in stadiums and at the same time you have enough room enough room to have these playoffs being played on the weekend like I said this year it's a different situation and I understand it because of the pandemic I'm not going against you know the situation with the pandemic but once again you go into the conference semifinals And then you can play these games, no problem whatsoever. But once again, you cannot 
screw it around. And you cannot and you should not cater to one of the to one team out of the many because they play in the baseball stadium. And that's all I can say about that. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a great show for tonight. We've got tons of guests ready to go. And I've got to tell you, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. First things first, we're going to head over to Columbus, Ohio, talk to my colleague from uh, Massive Report of SB Nation. And that is, of course, the one and only Patrick Goulden, who saw his uh, Columbus crew go toe-to-toe with Nashville SC. It was a 2-0 victory for the Columbus crew over Nashville, and it was an exciting one to watch. Patrick, good evening, and how are you tonight? Oh, not too bad. Thanks for having me on today. No problem. Thank you for coming and taking the uh, uh, the invitation. So before we even get to the goals, were you expecting Nashville SC to play you so tough, rough and tough, and you know, trying to defend against a you know, you have a very stacked side in Columbus. We all know that. But Nashville, to me, really presented a very good challenge for the crew and Caleb Porter. Uh, so what I was expecting was Nashville to play some of the hardest defense that the crew may have seen this year. You know, they they, they had the league's third best uh, defense. You know, Columbus obviously had a, a very good stretch, especially early in the season. Um, and, and had the second best. And so it was, it was really a defensive struggle in a, in a lot of cases. And you could see that they were well-drilled. They were exceptionally talented and understood what they were trying to do. And uh, so so that's the part of the game that I, I kind of expected. I, I was a little bit surprised at the, the amount of um, uh, attack that they had going forward. Not that it was, uh, uh, you know, Exceptional, but they had more punch than than what I had seen back in September when they visited uh, Columbus before. And uh, you know, they 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 played the match to a standstill. They had shut down a lot of what Columbus was trying to do. That uh, I, I remarked during the game, and I uh, I mentioned to one of my colleagues and said, you know, it seemed like the the crew were really focused on trying to to. Um, do special tactics, special plays to really kind of defeat uh, and, and break down this, this defense where there was a lot of uh, driven balls forward, you know, not even quite diagonals, but, but more uh, those, those vertical route one style balls into, into space, into, into some of the speed of like uh, uh, Luis Diaz on, on the right side where they were really trying to get that space open up and then there would be an immediate one touch cross into the center. And I, you know, you saw that, uh, that, that I think that the crew were ready for, for how good of the defense Nashville played. Um, but until, uh, things got a little bit ragged in extra time, uh, did you really see any good chances from Columbus? Yeah, I know. And, uh, as always, Pedro Santos, uh, he always finds a way to score those goals at the right time and to see him get a ball from a great angle and he just buries it past Joe Willis, who's been a very strong keeper throughout his MLS tenure. Um, once again, though, Pedro Santos, uh, in extra time, found a way to uh, beat the keeper, uh, went to that inside far post, and I got to tell you, um, once again, he just he just pulls one out of his hat, you know? Just amazing. Yeah, it's uh, so so. Santos is is really kind of an interesting character in Columbus because you know he comes into the team under Greg Berhalter and he goes a long time uh, without just just uh, ice cold in front of goal. And you know he hit the post. He he you know he would you could see some of that talent in his defense was always great, but you're always expecting a little bit more from him and. Uh, I, I, so whatever Greg saw in him, there, there was always talent there. But I remember uh, going back to when they were playing in Charleston uh, at the beginning of 2019 that the Pedro looked like a different different player. Um, and, and Caleb Porter talked about this, that, that he needed a little bit of belief behind him. He needed a little bit of uh, uh, feeling that, that he was doing what he needed to do and that, the, that stuff was going to come. And, and Caleb played him with a little bit more freedom and – it, it's been uh, markedly different. The the, the Caleb, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the Pedro Santos from 2019 
uh, set uh, uh, records for his goals and I believe his assists as well uh, in a crew uniform. He had another great year in 2020. Uh, he, he really seems to, to like playing with that freedom, and he is a very, very smart player in that he's always getting into those positions. And he may not be a playmaker. He's no Lucas Elleron. Um, but he, he gets into those positions, and he he has an excellent left foot. But you know he's able to sweep this in with his right foot, and uh, and and kind of break things open. Uh, you, you talked about him getting into this, but I really don't. Want, th- that was really a team play because uh, you have somebody like Giazzi Zardes, and um, everybody has opinions about Giazzi. Uh, you know wh- whether you know you see him as uh, in playing for the national team and, and whether he's a fit there or he's an MLS quality striker, if you remember from the galaxy, but the, the guy gives 110% uh, yeah. consistently uh, minute, minute one, minute 90 extra time. Uh, the the guy's always running and, and he makes that, you know, there's several that make that play, but he makes that play by, by breaking down the defense, by, by making that run and, and allowing that defense, uh, allowing the, the crew to kind of split open that defense, and then you know Pedro makes that run, and you know the game breaks open. Oh, it really does. I mean, you know, I've seen his quality, of course, many times against the Red Bulls. I just know he's a Red Bull killer. <laughs> he always finds a way to disrupt the flow, and he always finds a way to be in certain positions certain markings on the pitch offensively and then just pushes the ball. He just finds a way to put the ball in the back of the net. And, uh, you know, he's got great composure. He's got great belief. And at the same time, like you said um, about, you know, you want to look, get a little more from him. He works well with, with Giassi Zardes, whether he sets him up or Giassi sets him up. Yeah, they, they, they have a good, I really think Giassi reads off, off of, of all the players pretty well, but he and Pedro have, have a good uh, working relationship that, that, you know, they've been playing together for, for quite a while now. And I think it's finally clicked. And given that uh, Pedro is, is not expected to be the playmaker, he really works best. And he had a quiet game against Nashville on Sunday until, you know, the, those moments came up and he always played the defense and you, you were getting something out of him that entire game. But he, he you know, he, he has, they, they both have that, that great read of space. They have um, uh, the, the understanding of, of what's expected when somebody makes that other run, where to, where to move and, and get onto the other end of that pass. And so, you know, I, I know Jossie was talking about that goal afterwards. I was like, you know, I'm always looking to, to, to kind of get past that line. And, you know, I, I, I get down there, um, the ball, you know, somebody, you know, he's always very – uh, depreciative, uh, you know, always recognizing other people's uh, contributions before his own. But, you know, I pick my head up and, and there's Pedro. And so many times will you see Pedro being able to um, break lines because he, he's not a fast player, but uh, uh, with the ball at his feet, he seems a little bit faster. Or, you know, when there's a, a little bit of a seam in the defense and you need somebody to, to break into that space, uh, his on-the-pitch intelligence is uh, – it is tremendous. And, you know, I think that that's a testament to what Greg saw in him. Greg always liked those, those really smart tactical and technical players. Um, and, and I really think that he's shined under Caleb because Caleb said, you know what? I, I, you know, I want a little bit more freedom out of my players and Pedro, a smart guy really thrives in that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of driven the crew to, to new offensive heights because, he doesn't have to be the main guy, but he is there to step in and and, and contribute when necessary, whether that's the, the right pass or link-up play or um, his defense, which I think is outstanding. Uh, obviously, this was a little difficult for Caleb. You had several players not in the lineup, or at least not on the substitutes bench, uh, due to the uh, they got infected with the coronavirus, of course. Uh, hopefully not too badly. hope everyone's much better. But how difficult was that, or were you worried that missing some important players? I think Derek Etienne Jr. was also um, on the injury list, or at least maybe on the COVID uh, uh, not able to play list. Uh, what was that like? Uh, just to wonder about, you know, are the crew going to have a complimentary amount of players to go out there and and do the job that you know they could? 
I, I think the concern was when when that um, when the list came out. So so the concern was when it was unknown which of those players might be irreplaceable, because you know Darlington, the loss of Darlington Nagby or the loss of Lucas Elrion really changed this team considerably. Because I think they, you know, as much as I talk about how how great Jossie Zardes was or Pedro Santos was, I think that there are enough like for like replacements that they could they could get something out of say, Christian Nemeth or, or Derek Eddington Jr. in those spots. Um, but, you know, if, if Lucas Elrond wasn't there or if Darlington or, and Darlington Nagby wasn't there, then, then that really changes what capable of. Um, so, so from a lineup perspective, you know, Caleb obviously had the information about, about what's going on, but it, it really interrupted the way they, uh, they trained and the way they were able to install – the, the offense and really understand and, and, and try to prepare for what um, Nashville is able to do because, you know, there were a couple of days where they didn't touch ball in training and they were, they were limited to, to, you know, keeping physically active um, individually. And so it, it, it kind of limited that. And then once the, the, the numbers came out, you know, as, as damaging as this, this virus is and as contagious as it is, uh, you know, from, from a health standpoint, it's always very scary but it's also the, the crew had two goalkeepers that were on the list. And so, you know, they, they cared for this year on the roster, but, you know, uh, much like what Denver uh, suffered in the NFL, if you have a group that's together uh, and, and, and you're not um, careful, especially careful, things can, can happen where you're reduced to in, in a specific unit where you can't necessarily uh, replace that person or, or switch somebody over like a goalkeeper. And so I think uh, the, the shuffling in and out of the lineup, I think that there were enough players that really kind of do that, that, that could sub in because uh, Andrew Tarbell is, is a very good shot stopper and, and deputized very well for Eli room. He's not the distributor. And, and that I think hindered the crew uh, against Nashville and, and how they played. Um, and again, Luis Diaz has been a starter. Uh, during his short tenure with the crew. And it's only recently that Derek Etienne Jr. kind of jumped into the lineup. But Etienne Jr. is is very good at, at really understanding how they want to play on both sides of the ball. And so Diaz presents a little bit of a different, different look. And so it kind of, ha- you know, you don't train very much. You have to adapt your tactics and your personnel a little bit. It, it's obviously a little bit of a challenge. And, you know, the, the crew are going through it again this week with um, another person added to the, the unable to playlist in, in uh, backup right back uh, Chris Cadden. Uh, but, the, but it looks like room and, and Waylon Francis uh, reserve left back are going to be able to possibly play They're They're currently questionable. So the crew may be getting mm-hmm. room back, but, but the, but the feeling is, is that especially amongst the fans and, and I'm sure the team that as things as as infective infectiveness is, is just starting to wane, uh, that maybe they're you know you're worse you're past the worst of an outbreak, and so it really affects yeah, the I... team in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But and, you know, it, 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 the hope is is they're past it. That's the hope, and let's hope it stays that way. Um, the Revolution, Bruce Arena. This will be a very Interesting contest. What are you expecting from the Revs? So, you know, New England, I think, really struggled because they were missing their their key player. And they, they frankly, look maybe the toughest of any team the crew has played throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, the, the, um, they stack up in, in a team that, that is extremely uh, dynamic offensively in a way that the crew have struggled with recently. Uh, they, you know, they, they have a midfield that uh, can, can move the ball at ease. And, you know, especially when you're looking at a midfield trio like uh, Zellerion and Artur and, and Nagby for the crew, you're, you're putting a lot of weight on Artur to be able to, to step up and, and, uh, and manage a lot of that. Also, you know, you look at uh, the, the marauding, uh, backs for the New England uh, Revolution there, and you know, does that keep people like uh, you know uh, Luis Diaz, who doesn't really play defense very well, on his heels, or Pedro Santos, you know, who who is an excellent uh, defender, but you know, you want those guys moving forward. 
it really depends. Are the crew kept on their heels? Are they kept back that uh, that when they try to break out that they they don't have the 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 pieces in the right spots to transition quickly? Uh, and and so I think that you know there's a lot of times that the crew can suffer uh, a loss of possession or losing the possession battle and still come out on top because that's the game they're playing. I think against a team like New England, if if you know they don't have the ball. And I'm not the first to say this. I think they're in for some, some serious trouble. So the, the weight is on people like Nagy and people like Zellerion to be able to keep that ball under pressure and, and, uh, and, and break out and, and really do what they're, you know, they're the difference makers on this team. And the crew win if the difference makers step up. Patrick, have a good night. Thank you very much. And talk to you uh, hopefully uh, next time. You have a good night now. Yep. You too. Thank you. Stay safe. All right. Bye-bye. That's Patrick Gouldon, massive report, as uh, the Columbus crew are going to face against a red-hot New England Revolution side, and uh, it should be a fun one. And join me right now. Just found out is no longer New England Soccer Day. It's a Revolution recap podcast, but still it's the same good guy that follows and covers the New England Revolution. Sean Donahue joins me. Uh, Sean, what's going on with the Revs? Hey, glad to be back. And uh, you know, I was enjoying listening to the the crew perspective before me, so that was a good good back to back there. <laughs> but the the Revolution are on <laughs> quite the uh, the shocking run, uh, given how they finished the season. And I, you know, we talked about it in the last show. It's it's again, you know, you saw it against Orlando. It's Carlos Hill being healthy, Gustavo Bo getting back into form, the two guys that are, you know, top class players that, you know, any team in the league would want are performing when it matters most. And that's what's carrying the revolution right now. And of course, Matt Turner, uh, you know, just coming up huge time and time again in goal. Um, you know, those are the guys that have been the leaders for the revolution when, you know, when healthy, Matt Turner's been there all year. Gustavo Bo has had periods where he hasn't been healthy and, you know, hasn't been performing. Um, but Carly Seals has been out most of the season. Uh, but come the playoffs, the Revolution have gotten healthy, and their best players are playing phenomenally well when it matters the most. I want to go to Matt Turner for a moment. Is this the best uh, year he has ever played in goal? Because we all know, you know, Brad Knighton was a goalkeeper. Shuttleworth was the goalkeeper. There was a lot of turnover, you know, which one of those two is the better goalkeeper situated for the Revolution? Matt Turner comes in out of nowhere. And right now, you guys have a keeper that I believe is going to be there for a long, long time because I think he's having the best year in net for the Revolution right now. Yeah, he, he absolutely is. And it's, it's amazing to watch his progression as the Revolution goalkeeper um, because, you know, you mentioned guys like Bobby Shuttleworth who had, you know, a couple of decent years for Revolution and some not-so-great years, Brad Knighton, who, um, you know, had some good moments for the Revs. But, you know, the Revolution were a team that historically has had some very good goalkeepers. You know, Aiden Brown, when he was healthy, was a phenomenal goalkeeper. Matt Reese was an incredible goalkeeper, um, you know, best Revolution goalkeeper of all time. And then in the years since then, you know, the keepers you mentioned were decent, but not up to those standards. And then Matt Turner, they finally have a goalkeeper that's up to those standards. Um, yes, Bobby Shuttleworth got to the revolution to an MLS Cup. Um, but when you look back at, you know, say Matt Reese, he was a goalkeeper that could win you games in a way that I, you know, I don't think Bobby Shuttleworth could do consistently. And now in, in Matt Turner, you have another one of those goalkeepers that can make those saves that can absolutely win you games. And there's a reason Matt Turner is being talked about as a potential future U.S. men's national team keeper, he's played that well. It's just crazy to think that, you know, 2016, he was an undrafted keeper brought in by Jay Heaps. Nobody knew who he was. He went two years without playing a single minute. Um, and then in 2018, Brad Friedel came in, gave him a chance to actually start. Uh, he, he looked really good. And then, you know, 2019 was actually a kind of an inconsistent year for him um, under Brad Friedel. And in 2020, he's just been a very consistent goalkeeper all the way through. Um, but he's someone that didn't actually become a goalkeeper until later in his life. I think he was a teenager by the time he actually started playing in goal um, and got into soccer. So he was kind of a late bloomer. And it, because of that, I think you're kind of seeing the development later in his career, which as a goalkeeper, 
um, I think is something you can see more frequently than you can see as a field player. Uh, so you're really seeing that, and this year in particular, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but really, if you watch his games over the past three years, you've seen a steady progression from him uh, to become a goalkeeper that's in the picture, I think, for the U.S. national team going forward. You know, when you're taking on a team that's run by Oscar Pereja, you, you know what you're expecting. You know, a lot of different plays, a lot of set pieces, uh, attacking down the middle, attacking down the flanks, tons of crosses, you know, that South American flair, and a lot of South American players on this team, including, you know, uh, everyone adapting to how he wants to play. Just how much, and we all, look, I will always say that Bruce Arena is still the top manager of this league, and until the day is officially all the way done, then you can, you can anoint someone else. What does Bruce Arena see that maybe none of us sees? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's the second straight game the Revolution have gone in as the underdog. Um, I'd say less so against Orlando. I know we talked about it in the, the last podcast. I think, the, you know, the Revolution looks at this game as you know, more of a winnable game than – or at least their fan base looks at this game as more of a winnable game than they looked against Philadelphia, who have been the best team in the league all year long. Um, but Bruce Arena has really changed how this Revolution team plays. Again, just at the right time going into the playoff, he found this winning formula um, for the team. And really, a lot of that, again, is Carles Hill being fully healthy. Um, and, you know, we saw that Carles Hill um, helped set up the initial PK that he ended up scoring on. Um, you know, Tejan Buchanan, that, that, again, he was kind of forced into this move of putting Tejan Buchanan at right back because of Alexander Butner having COVID. Um, and, you know, Brandon Bay being hurt at the time, but that ended up being kind of a masterstroke for Bruce Arena. And Tejan Buchanan was the one that made that fantastic run at the beginning of this game and, and caused uh, Nani a lot of problems in this game, um, particularly, you know, early on. Uh, and you saw that in that play where he you know, took some great dribbling moves and then the Revolution took the lead. And when the Revolution take the lead, um, you know, Bruce Arena coach team is, is going to be hard to beat when they have the lead. Um, and the fact that they doubled it nine minutes later through Gustavo Bowe put them in a, a really fantastic position. I don't think anyone expected the revolution to start that well. Um, you know, there was some sloppiness in that they conceded that 33rd minute goal that I think that was something they never should have conceded. Um, that was just some really poor defense. Um, but they were up in control until that point. Oh, yeah. See, that my feeling was, uh, even though there was that little hiccup, I always feel that Bruce Arena teams will always be in control and will always take control no matter what situation uh, you're in front of or that they are in front of. So all I can tell you is Bruce Arena, once again, just always finds a way to get the job done. Like I said in the past, it, you, know, you know, when he first joined the club, it doesn't matter how they were playing. It doesn't matter what the situation was. He can just basically say, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to leave it alone, and I'm going to try and work with the guys. Once again, when he gives his players the confidence to attack, if it's not a good season, you will see the progression happen very quickly, and they will show you why, that, or he will show you why, that he well, that, will take the very... team and turn things around. Yeah, the, the very interesting Bruce Arena stat that I think it was John Champion on the broadcast mentioned um, was Bruce Arena coached teams when they take the lead in the playoff game. I think the, the stat was 32 times they've taken the lead in the playoff game, 32 times they've ended up winning the game, and then the Revolution took the lead in this game, and they mentioned that stat, and then, of course, they made it 33 out of 33. Um, so that, that's quite the stat for Bruce Arena. So if you're the, the Columbus crew looking at this game, I think you, you, know, you want to get off to a strong start because if, you know, Bruce Arena coached teams gets an early lead, they're probably going to hold on. Yeah, they really will. And, uh, you know, 25 years of this club, 25 years going strongly in this league in MLS, of course, Columbus, New England, they are founding members of this league. Isn't it great that you're going to have an Eastern Conference final with two charter members of MLS going for it, making it, you know, one of you two sides are going to be uh, in the MLS Cup final uh, the following Saturday, next Saturday, I should say. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting to see a couple of original clubs going at it. Um, you know, the Revolution in the early 2000s when they were early mid 2000s when they were you know a dominant force that did extremely well in the league but never won a cup. Columbus was a team they found the playoffs a lot and had a lot of success against them. So it's nice to kind of see that rivalry renewed. I don't think the Revolution ended up playing Columbus at all this season given the the bizarre schedule. 
Um, and, you know, the same thing with Orlando. So it's nice to kind of be seeing some different teams, and it's really nice to be seeing two original teams going off in the Eastern Conference final. Um, and, you know, Columbus, a lot of credit to them, too, being the first team in the league to, to build a soccer-specific stadium, uh, and the Revolution being, I think, probably the only original team left in MLS that never did build a soccer-specific stadium. It was a little bit of a, of a <laughs> dichotomy there. But um, it is it is very exciting to see two MLS originals going at it. And, you know, if, if the Western Conference Finals had gone different ways, you could have seen four MLS originals. But in the Western Conference, the MLS originals ended up losing before they got to the final. But I, I was – I was kind of watching those two games kind of – and part of me hoping Dallas and Sporting Kansas City would win so you'd have four originals going into the, the conference final. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But uh, this should be an interesting matchup. And uh, what are you seeing from the Columbus crew that you're going to be a little worried about when the revolution uh, heads over to Mopry Stadium in uh, Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, you know, the the one thing I didn't necessarily agree with with what I heard before is that if the Revolution don't have uh, a lot of possession, that they're going to be in trouble. Um, because the Revolution have been a team that's been good on the counterattack. Actually, if you, if you look at the, you know, the Orlando game, um, the Revolution weren't in control of the possession when they took that early lead. Um, and, you know, they still found a way to score on the counterattack. They're a very, very dangerous team on the counterattack with the players they have. You know, it was, it was a pretty dominant performance possession-wise from Orlando City. Um, and you know, even while that was going on, the Revolution were the better team for much of that. Um, it's another story about the fact that the Revolution were up a man for the last 30 minutes and, and couldn't hold the ball at all. That's a bit troubling. Um, but they are a team that, that's good on the counterattack. So if the crew are going to be you know, maintaining 60% of the possession, I don't think that's a problem for the Revolution. Um, and you know, part of that is because of the speed they have, and a lot of that speed comes from their fullbacks. Uh, you know, against Orlando, again, mentioning Tejan Buchanan, he was a huge problem for Orlando. Um, you know, both of the first two goals he played a role in, and his speed caused them a ton of issues. Between Tejan Buchanan and Dewan Jones, I, I think it's, it's probably fair to say the Revolution have the two fastest fullbacks if you average their speed compared to any other two fullbacks in the league. Um, and I think that's something that can cause the crew a lot of problems. Um, and then, again, you get down to, to Carly Teal. If the crew are, are, are strong defensively, he's a guy that can pick apart any defense. So, uh, we, again, last week we talked about the fact that Carly's heel was out for most of the season for the Revolution. They struggled offensively. He's a game changer for the Revolution uh, in a way that he can create chances that nobody else can create. Um, there's a reason he was an MLS Best 11 player when he was healthy the season before. And I think if he'd stayed healthy all this season, you probably wouldn't end that conversation again. So I think the crew are going to have to worry about the red speed at fullback, and then they're going to have to worry about Carly's heel like everybody else in the league has to worry about him. And then Gustavo Bo. Uh, when Carlos Hill is on the field, and Bruce Arena has talked about this, uh, is kind of a completely different player. Early on in the season, they were asking Gustavo Bo to kind of be a creator um, because they didn't have Carlos Hill, and now that Carlos Hill is out there, he's a the guy creating chances, and Gustavo Bo is the guy that can kind of be a bit more of a poacher, um, and maybe that's not the right word for him because he's you know very capable of taking shots from distance. Um, but you know he's he's able to kind of have that free role where he runs around the field and finds good opportunities, and Carlos Hill gets him the ball, and then. You know, he can score from pretty much anywhere. So uh, there's a lot of threats in this Revolution offense right now, despite the fact that they weren't a high-scoring team during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I think uh, you're going to have to watch out for because, to me, I think Gustavo Bo, obviously he's good at one thing, but even though maybe he wasn't doing good at the other thing, that maybe he's finally worked into that component and he could be an X-factor that no one's expecting. And I think that's the most dangerous thing right now. I think Bo can become a two, not so much a defender and an attacker. He can probably be a, an attacker and a poacher at the same time with a little creativity yeah. as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's a guy that can create stuff for himself off the dribble and can also be the guy that you know, sneaks up when there's a, a rebound and, and puts it away. Um, and he didn't have the freedom to do that so much when, when Carlos Hill was out. But now that's the role that's being asked of him. And um, you definitely saw that against Orlando with, with the goal that he scored. Um, he's, he's very capable of playing that role. And he looks a lot more confident with Carlos Hill out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, uh, good luck on uh, Sunday. And hopefully I'll talk to you again uh, uh, later in the week. And uh, all I can say is just stay safe. Good luck on Sunday. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. I hope we're talking about an MLS Cup final in a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what happens. So have a good night, my friend, and I'll talk to you soon. You too.
All right, thanks a lot. That's Sean Donahue, Revolution Recap Podcast, talking about the revolution uh, moving forward, and hopefully uh, we'll see what happens there. And uh, we'll take a look and uh, see the situation that's in front of us. So we should have a solid, solid Eastern Conference Final Columbus crew uh, taking on the New England Revolution. It should be a lot of fun. So hopefully uh, we have this next gentleman on. And, uh, you know, once again, it doesn't surprise me about the Sounders because, once again, Brian Schmetzer has them working like a well-oiled machine. From the Athletic in Seattle, Mickey Turner joins me. Um, you know, Mickey, I got to tell you once again, it's not about who you face or who the Sounders face is. Can you stop them? And once again, they've proven they can't be stopped. And good evening. I uh, hope that everything's going well. Uh, things are going well out here, obviously, because the Sounders once again, uh, are going to be hosting a chance to go to the MLS Cup uh, championship. And, yeah, they uh, it was a different kind of game than it was against LASC, obviously. Uh, there was only one goal in this game for one. The Sounders really struggled to break down Dallas, especially in the first half. Uh, the second half, things changed up a little bit, especially after the goal. Um, but they, you know, on the other side, I think is where it's more um, impressive um, you know, while Dallas doesn't have the firepower necessarily that LAFC does, they've got some good, good players. And the Sounders were essentially able to shut them down for the entire game, save for one chance in the 62nd minute where they uh, got a little bit of fortune with a deflection off the post and then a clearance off the line. Uh, but aside from that, Dallas really struggled to really uh, provide much of an of a offensive threat to the Sounders. And, yes, so they uh, – just uh, kind of chugged along in this one and grinded it out. And it was a different type of game than it was against LAFC, but that just shows that they can win in different ways. And, yeah, now they uh, look forward to hosting Minnesota. That should be a fun one. And, uh, you know, knowing Minnesota, you know, with uh, how Adrian Heath runs his club, that's going to be a tricky matchup. But before we even even get to that, how does a guy – in Shane O'Neill, who hasn't scored in the last, what, four, five, somewhat many, many years in the past. And he's the only one that heads the ball into the back of the net, and no one else on the Sounders was able to do that. Yeah, that was, it was obviously the, about the last person you'd expect to score, uh, maybe aside from Stephen Fry uh, in the game. And, you know, especially for a guy who – didn't really have much uh, coming into the season. Uh, he was picked up uh, from Orlando, who didn't want him. Um, he was a guy who was at least on the cusp, on the fringes of the national team, and a move to Europe that didn't pan out. Uh, but he goes to Orlando, doesn't play, and the Sounders pick him up because they needed a depth piece at center back. They had their top two guys in Javier Arriaga and Yaimer uh, Andrade. Uh, but they had no other center backs uh, coming into the season. So they had to get someone else in there and they were able to find O'Neill and he was able to work his way over the course of the season, uh, such that the season was uh, work his way into, if not the starter, at least uh, into a rotation with uh, Ariaga, who's been gone uh, through international duty and uh, quarantine. Um, and yeah, he's been solid, if not spectacular this year. And, yeah, going into the game, you were just hoping for a steady performance from him, and you got that, certainly. And then getting a little bit on offense was a bonus. I mean, he's a big guy. He's got a good uh, good feet and can jump. Um, and so, you know, as far as him being a threat on uh, set pieces, you know, he certainly is a threat, but certainly not the guy you expected to score the goal to put them um, through the championship game. Yeah, I mean uh... – I will admit this. The Sounders always find a way. And you got to give Garth Lagerwey credit. He always finds a way to either get those special players that you need to attack in the uh, starting 11 or, in this case, as you said, a depth player who, you know, he gets the emergency call to start and he just pulls one out of the, out of the hat. You know, it's just amazing what Lagerwey has done. And it's also amazing what Brian Schmetzer has done. 
you know, on these runs, you know, was it two out of three MLS Cup titles uh, right now uh, under his belt and uh, possibility of going to a uh, a fourth one and possibly winning a third one. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've said this in the past, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo Siggy Schmidt. I've, you know, he was always a, a great manager, a great coach, um, for the Sounders and when he was in MLS for either LA Galaxy or um, uh, the Columbus Crew. But, you know, I've always felt, and I know Schmetzer at the time was the USL um, manager for the Sounders, but I always felt that he should have been given the job right away. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, uh, interesting way of looking at it. Uh, that was never going to happen just because the Sounders were looking to make a splash when they came into the league, and they certainly were looking for a head coach uh, to allow them to do that. And they got found one in Ziggy Smith. And then also when they signed Freddie Lewenberg, uh, you know, this is before the era of the DP really got underway. It was basically Beckham and a couple of others, uh, Burroughs Villoto maybe out of Columbus and, and guys like that. And so the Sounders were always going to look to make a splash and make a mark um, in the Seattle area, in the soccer community, and in MLS. And they found their coach in, in Ziggy Schmidt, who certainly took them to heights that you know most expansion teams could only dream of, winning some uh, four U.S. Open Cup titles and a supporter shield, but he was never able to get the Sounders over the hump into MLS Cup and, you know, in fact, was obviously fired uh, under less than uh, ideal circumstances as they were near the bottom of the league in 2016. And then Schmetzer comes in and basically gives it to the players to, to turn things around. And obviously, boy, did they. And it's been a, uh, you know, kind of a downhill uh, in, the, in the kindest way of saying that um, ever since. Um, and, yeah, he's got them now on the cusp of their uh, fourth MLS Cup final in five years and a chance for the third. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a, an incredible ride. And um, he will hopefully, for some of those fans, be around for a few more years, although that still be determined as he's out of contract. Oh, really? Well, you know, honestly, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I think he should get a new contract right now. Uh, <laughs> but well, then again, I'm not his agent and I'm not a wheeler dealer. On that. Yeah, most uh-huh. fans would agree with you on that. Um, there's you know, behind the scenes, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily his, the issue with him but with his assistants and trying to get them the contracts that they, uh, that he thinks they deserve. I mean, he's got probably has the top assistant, assistant core in the, in MLS, you know, uh, Preki obviously has his own pedigree, uh, Jimmy Triore, Gonzalo Pinedo and uh, Tom Dutra, a goalkeeper coach. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a, uh, a better collection of assistants. Um, and I think Schmetzer in part is going to bat for them. Um, there may be some – there's been some speculation, uh, you know, you may have heard during the pregame show, Alexi Lawless talking about how is it Schmetzer who's a great coach or is he just in a great uh, – great, um, and could some other coach do that? Um, whether or not that's the case, uh, if you're letting him Schmetzer go, you're risking, uh, you know, trying to find the grass is greener, and that's not always the case. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know, he's obviously uh, got – at least one more game and possibly two. Um, and then uh, after the season, presumably, if he is able to bring another title home, uh, you would think that they're going to uh, bring him back. But they haven't announced anything as yet. And Schmetzer said today that, um, you know, he's still looking to get that taken care of. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on that front. But uh, it's definitely going to be a talking point if he is unable to come to terms with the Sounders. All right. What worries you about Minnesota right now? So, yeah, I watched the game uh, yesterday, obviously, and they were pretty impressive on in transition with that uh, that front three of Molino, uh, Lude, and uh, Reynoso, um, and they really just picked apart Sporting Kansas City. So you got to say that Molino uh, especially looked pretty fantastic. Uh, with uh, they're also the number 10 pulling the, sprint, uh, the strings. Lou didn't do as much in that game. Um, and so you've got to uh, focus, I think, on that. I think the Sounders have the pieces to do that, especially in the midfield, uh, especially the way they play defense. 
So you wouldn't expect that they're going to get run over like Sporting Kansas City did in that game. And if you can control that, then you uh, you have to think that the uh, Sounders have a good chance of winning this game uh, because the defensively Minnesota certainly gave up a ton of chances to Kansas City, especially early in that match. And the problem was uh, Kansas, Sporting Kansas City didn't have uh, the ability to finish. You've got to think that the Sounders with their front three of Ladero or your their big three of Ladero, Morris, and uh, Rui Diaz uh, are going to be much uh, much more able to finish the chances that they should get in this game. Absolutely. All right, Mickey, you have a good night. Be careful, be safe, and I'll hope to talk to you later in the week. You have a good night now. All right, sounds good. Have a good weekend. Uh, you too. Thank you very much. Mickey Turner from The Athletic in Seattle. And uh, that means there's one team left to talk about. There's one team left to discuss, and that is Minnesota United FC. They came out of nowhere. They took out Sporting Kansas City by a final of three goals to nil. This next guest, his new name is Kreskin, because he predicted this final score of this one from the Nord website, Bruce McGuire. Bruce, you called it. It came true. What the hell did you know that we didn't? Cheers, my friend. I don't really know what I knew. Um, it was literally just a hunch, and I did it because you kind of pushed me on it, and so I just did it because normally I'm just not a predictor. I, I have no clue what's actually going on in the world. But there was something about the two previous games that, that said to me, this can be done. This can be done. Yep, and and it did, and it was great. And, you know, we all know – that Kevin Molino's had his struggles in the past. We've all known that, you know, he was with Orlando and a little bit coming into Minnesota. He's been hot. He's been cold. But it's we'll get to, back to him in a moment. But I really want to go to the guy that really pulled the strings here, and that was Reynoso, who you said in the last game, you know, he's the one you got to look out for. And my God, did he just do wonders. You know, the first – 20 minutes that he stepped on the field for Minnesota United back in, was it either late August or early September? You could see the quality he had. And um, I've always enjoyed being able to pick out those little, those little nuggets with seeing very, very few minutes of somebody play. And you could tell that if they have it or not, and he definitely has it. Um, I can't, I can't say that I expected the loons to benefit at this rate, but it's been spectacular to watch. And, and, you know, if you read all the quotes from Kansas City today, they knew what was coming. They knew what Reynoso was capable of, and their plan was to shut him down. And, boy, they didn't even come close. No. No, they did not. I'll tell you right now, uh, to see sporting Kansas City getting spanked like that, that was just Unbelievable. And, you know, I don't expect Kansas City to get destroyed the way they did, but three goals in a succession of what, 12 minutes? That's just unbelievable. That is just unbelievable. And the third goal from DeBossi, oh my God, how he was able to, you know, put his head on that ball. It almost seemed like they, well, obviously they were using you know, zonal marking on their set pieces. And it was almost like they weren't even aware that he was up there because he kind of snuck past two guys and then just put his head right in front of a third guy, just popped up out of nowhere. And Tim Mealy had no chance at all because the even got that, that really great pressure where you can, you know, wrench your back and, and crank your neck forward and really put some energy into the header. And, you know, we see so many glancing headers and things like that on corner kicks, but to be able to power one into the goal was pretty special. It really was. It was just amazing to watch. And then, of course, watching Kansas City trying to come back, and they just couldn't find a way to do it. Um, I, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed to see what they were able to do, how they were able to do it. And uh, you're moving on to the uh, Western Conference final, of course, um, 
it's not uncommon what Minnesota did in the Open Cup run they had last year against Atlanta United. Um, you know, I, I just when you see, I know you've had your disagreements with, about Adrian Heath, and, and I respect your opinion, of course. But what he did in this one against Peter Vermees, do you feel in your own way that okay? Do you now understand what he's trying to do, or do you still feel he still has to prove it to you a little bit more? Well, I don't, I don't know if, if that, I mean, prove it to me is, is irrelevant, you know? Um, right. Because he only has to prove to himself and to the ownership. The, that's, you know, the only two that really matter for a head coach. And so whatever he accomplishes is, you know, if, if it's really good, then great for him. Um, I don't ever want to see somebody fired. Uh, I mean, I can't speak mm-hmm. for you, but I've, I've been fired from jobs and it's brutal. And mm-hmm. um, especially if it's a job that you live for. And I don't know of, of a head coach of any sport at any level that doesn't live for it. And so I, I definitely don't want to see anyone fired. I can disagree with somebody and, and all those things and cheer on their success. And so that part I have zero issues with. Um, They have hit upon a formula the last three games in a row playing with the false nine. And that happened because Kai Kamara left to go play African cup qualifiers and Aaron Schoenfeld was out injured and they were really the only two forwards on the entire roster at the time because Luis Amaria had his season had ended with an ankle surgery. So they were forced into this false nine. And, you know, it's, it's when you can put four good attackers on the field at the same time in any positions, when you can put Molino, Reynoso, Lode, and Finley all on the field at the same time, everyone's going to have a hard time slowing that down, no matter who you are and no matter where they line up on the field. Um, but no one saw this coming. No one, no one saw Minnesota playing with a false nine. It wasn't like somebody had some grand idea. They'd been working on this in secret for months at training. This happened because no one else was available, and that's the one they went with, and boom, it worked. And for three games in a row, they have won 3 nothing. That's pretty remarkable in MLS, no matter how you slice it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just remarkable how you're – able to change things up and move forward. So um, the next uh, team to take on for that MLS Cup final position is the Seattle Sounders. I believe Minnesota will be traveling to the Pacific Northwest. What worries you about Seattle, and what are you going to expect from them? Because to me, we're going to have a clash of two different styles, and I think we could have a great chess match here with Adrian Heath on your side and Brian Schmetzer on Seattle's side. Well, I think Schmetzer's another guy that, for him, like Adrian Heath, it's not about tactics. It's about getting the right guys on the field at the right time. And sometimes that's a crapshoot, and sometimes it's very, very obvious. And, you know, there's not many people who follow MLS that don't know what Seattle's strengths are. Um, I think their, their greatest accomplishment the last several years has been being able to continuously piece together a defense when at the end of each season, everyone says, how did they do it with that defense? And then the next year, they fit in two or three more new pieces and do it all over again. I think that's been their real forte. And, I mean, obviously, there is no better trio up top than Rui Diaz, Ladero, and Morris. Those three guys are, are, you know, the best in the league and one of the best trios in the history of the league. I think you have to go back to, like, Marco Echeverri, um, Diaz Arce and Jaime Moreno to find a trio. I'm sure that there's others, you know, I mean, we could say David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, um, who would be the trio you would want to call from Houston? Probably. Well, it would definitely be Brian Ching, Dwayne De Rosario and Brad mm-hmm. Davis. Yep. You know, yep. most great teams yep. have that kind of trio, but I think the three guys at the Sounders could be the best of all time. And, but, you know, their forte coming Monday night is going to be just their supreme confidence. They've been there before. They have done this before. They have succeeded at it before. 
They know exactly what to do. They're not going to overlook Minnesota. They're not going to take them for granted. And they're going to be ready for whatever throws at them. Now, we saw that with Kansas City, and they knew exactly what was coming, and they couldn't stop it. Does that happen to Seattle? I guess they'll find out. Can Minnesota's defense continue their lucky streak like they had a little bit of luck there at the beginning against Kansas City, two primo chances saved off the line and another primo chance on a, you know, Johnny Russell got in behind the defense. Can you know, if Seattle does that three times in the first 15 minutes, can Minnesota keep them off the scoreboard? Oof, doesn't seem like it against Seattle, but Hey, that's how you win, right? Exactly. That's how you do it. Bruce, have a good night. Thank you very much. Hopefully I'll talk to you next week. You please be safe. Please take care. And I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Always take care. Thank you. Take care. Bruce McGuire, Denord website, talk about Minnesota United FC. And I also want to thank the rest of my guests, uh, Patrick Gouldan, massive report, Sean Donahue, revolution recap, Mickey Turner, the athletic in Seattle. My name's Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Next week, two great shows. Please be careful. Please be safe. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.